Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wake up in the morning feeling like... Waterman is extremely well. She's very slippery. You don't own me. Okay, now the tough question. Is this a try? Yes or no? Just because I'm a woman. Tryhards. Hey everybody. Happy new week. Happy new week. Happy new month. Yes. Related Happy St. David's Day. Oh yeah. I always want I keep wanting to say Pemboys Happis or whatever. What's happy Pem, birthday? Pemboys Happis. Yeah. But that's not Happy David's Day, is it? It's not Happy St. David's Day. Yeah. Um, what's that in Welsh? Dydd Goyl Dewi Sant Hapis would be Happy St David's Day. Wow. I'm actually quite impressed with it. Oh, wow. I'm glad. Um, well, are you happiest today? Are you happy? Yeah, I am. Um, it's a little bit cold, actually, today. Been out on a dog walk. But Koya found a new friend, Fox Red Lad, called Griffin, because the parents were um, Harry Potter fans. Oh. And um, she, her and Griffin chased after a purple conga ball for a decent amount of time. She's now asleep on the sofa. Um, so, yeah, good morning so far. Good morning. Uh, we went for a dog walk and we saw a Labradoodle called Bosley. And my favourite neighbourhood dog, a Spinoli called Milo, whose owner is a Kiwi. And I, they're like my favourite people to bump into on a dog walk because Milo's just like the most, the cutest, like gentle giant of a dog. For those that haven't had it, because it's not like massively popular over here, we used to absolutely nail Milo um, in the evenings. Like cereal. that was a... What? Milo cereal? No, it's hot chocolate. It's hot chocolate powder. Cereal as well. Have you not had really? cereal? Oh my no. god! No, we'd have it as hot chocolate. It's like a hot chocolate based kind of warm drink. Um, oh, yeah, for the evenings used to love it. So Milo, they're growing up, is also like Antipodean. So like it's big in Australia, and it basically is like. Um, like, you know, like the snaps that you have on holiday. Can you see that? Uh, yeah, so Milo showing, Green. I... I'm just showing Nolly a picture of the Milo so that she um, can see what I'm talking about. This is great chat for everyone listening, us talking about what cereal and hot chocolate we like. I wonder if she's named after that. I might, the next time I see her, I might ask her that. Okay, good conversation starter there. Um, what, have you been <laughs> up to? what have you been up to this week, apart from walking the dog, apart from dogging? Um, well, I... I've been quite busy. Um, yeah, obviously busy Saturday watching some rugby. Um, bloody ruggers. Bloody ruggers. Uh, but also had some real entertainment, which is actually my top tip. I have never done a cook along. So I know that they're like now kind of the new thing. People have been doing them like <laughs> as, I don't know, do you do like a cook along party with your friends or like different team building things Club with house, you, whatever? Yeah thing isn't it pardon clubhouse no it'll be some time before you I feel like you're always about five years behind or five months behind the curve on um technology so or anything um I September on this podcast when Nolly announces she's just done her first clubhouse 
remember this moment guys remember yeah it. never heard of it I've no idea what you're talking about um so I did my first cook along with uh, Mob Kitchen and Guinness um John Barkley and Ugo uh were the guests online and honestly it was absolutely brilliant fun what did you I, there was so much mess because I was trying to get videos for social media and I was trying to do it whilst I was watching and it was just absolute chaos and I all I made was homemade burgers but we where, did caramelized where onions where do you put the Guinness in a Guinness burger so caramelized onions with Guinness yum Guinness goes in there they were absolutely boomting okay um and then Guinness in with the cheese because it was a like a rare bit cheeseburger so Guinness oh, yeah. in with that yeah um, the recipe for and this? Guinness for me whilst I was cooking so okay, that's <laughs> um, I would be quite keen to make this where is the recipe online yeah so it's still on Facebook I think you just go on to Guinness Facebook and it's on there the video um, there's actually some really funny chat Ugo was so bad at cooking mm-hmm. it made me look like um I should be a contestant on MasterChef celebrity not oh not celebrity um, oh wow all right <laughs> I meant professional <laughs> you know what made me laugh so um Alfie's been doing Britain's best home cook have you seen that so they've done like no. a celebrity version of that Britain's best home cook and mum was like oh would Nolly do this and I was like she'd have to take Simone <laughs> like Nolly would stand <laughs> next to the like kitchen area where the celebrities cook with a bowl of crisps that she would eat. (laughs) And then about two minutes before Simone is ready to serve, she'd make two pints of squash and that would be her contribution to the home cook. Sorry, you look upset. No, it's true. Um, I'm actually thinking about the crisps that I'd eat or choose. That's the probably a really big decision. Chips. It's a risky one because if you go anything, I love a salt and vinegar, strong salt and vinegar crisp, but with that McCoy mm-hmm. like a McCoy <laughs> like a McCoy coy um a McCoy yeah they're okay um no I, you know what there's just so much choice I'm actually I'm actually salivating the problem is right, my tip is that don't right I've got two top tips do the cook along I absolutely loved it it's on Guinness Facebook really good the burgers were absolutely amazing and I never knew so this is something that I learned from it that you shouldn't when you're making your own burgers with mints you shouldn't squish them together too tight because it makes the meat really tough and actually all she did 750 grams um box split it into four salt on the top flip the quarters over salt pick up a quarter kind of roughly shape it put it in the pan and then squish it down with a heavy pan and that's your burger and it was absolutely amazing what no so onions, no gherkins in that patty just... well yeah there was all of that there was just i'm just saying the actual burger build but, no, but um, also adding it. mustard to mayo i mean I feel... again this is where you live behind the curve on lots of things is that the first time you've had mustard mayo yeah never done that before oh my good good lord um sorry just on a tangent which i know listeners of the pod will think that's unusual for these two um have you got an aldi by you anywhere we've got a little not the same um if you go past an aldi go and get their snack right salt vinegar crisps because they are the like the strongest flavored salt and vinegar crisps. Yeah, see, that was my other top tip. Don't have salt and vinegar crisps before you eat dinner because as like a little snack, because you'll just eat the whole bag because they're so moorish and then you've destroyed your taste buds for your dinner and your dinner won't taste good. That's my top tip as well. So cook along. Don't have too strong of salt and vinegar crisps. Um, I don't have any cooking, cooking stories for you, but I cut my mum's hair yesterday. Do you use the kitchen scissors? No, I use hairdressing <laughs> scissors that were in the dog's clipper box. <laughs> and I was like, mum, you really shouldn't use these to cut the dog's hair if I'm going to cut your hair. And she said it was fine. Um, I did a really good job. Um, I don't think I will be retraining as a hairdresser anytime soon. Though I have over the years on a few occasions considered doing a barbering course because I've had this kind of like vision in my head of me being this like, traveling reporter and I take a little like barber's chair and and we film me interviewing a player as I trim their hair 
Um, but you know, obviously that's never come to fruition, but perhaps food for thought, it could be something I pursue in the future. I actually think that, to be fair, I actually think that's quite a good, good idea. Um, I can imagine you doing it, although I can imagine you getting so into the interview that you forget you're either cutting the hair or just keep cutting and cutting and cutting. <laughs> I think there'd be very much like one standard cut that I'd be offering. I don't think I'd be doing anything too inventive. Um, I've got a pause for positivity, which may surprise you. It actually includes you. Oh, what a yacht. So I was um, doing some social media stalking of yourself the other day. I just like to see what you've been doing. And um, basically I was looking at the pictures of you having your makeup done and thinking how much I would love to just sit and be pampered. Um, and I noticed the Mitsubishi um, link in your bio and this amazing uh, like unsung heroes thing and how you can go on and nominate somebody to receive a message from yourself and a couple of other dingbats associated with rugby um sorry Danny sorry Jim um but I love that, that sorry you... England team Scotland team red roses but it's all good hashtag stars um but yeah I love that you can go on there somebody who perhaps has done something in the community during the past year or somebody who has um, been very brave themselves or somebody who's done a job that's kind of been you know a key worker job maybe one that's been a bit overlooked somebody who's worked in retail or something and you can go on and, and get their rugby hero yourself to do a message for them and I just thought what a nice thing for somebody who you know might not be getting the praise they need to suddenly get a notification on their phone and your tombstone teeth are saying well done <laughs> congratulations you just, know well, what the, that's really oh, thank you you know what and actually it's been really cool to do it um and to know that there's nominations been coming in but yeah make sure you obviously pick me out of that list um yeah. but the yeah the the hashtag for it was was probably the thing that really sold it to me hashtag yeah. motivation oh, oh. <laughs> Motor cars. Like yeah got it got it anyway should we talk about some actual rugby from the weekend we will get to the uh the big one shall we begin with the Italy island game perhaps yeah yeah I mean that was the first game of the weekend um before we talk about the game can I just bring up the fact that if you haven't seen the Connor sketches parody press conferences they're on the Paddy Power social stream and I know that every time Nolly's talked about these she's been in fits of giggles even though you know she's talked about it a number of times to me I can see her laughing now about it they're so funny and the parody of Andy Farrell doing the press conference ahead of the Italian game is I don't want to ruin it for you but go and watch it because it is so yeah. funny so that funny. would be my uh, that can be your top tip because honestly yeah. it I watched it three times because it made me laugh that much um absolutely brilliant we will share it on our socials because yeah just class it needs it um you know what the game it's it's always difficult when um teams are playing Italy because it's kind of inevitable and that's whatever that's the like narrative of it um I suppose just quickly brief like quickly briefly uh quickly briefly talking fastly about Italy um I suppose my biggest frustration with Italy is they do some really good stuff they they there's parts of their game that is great. And when they play to the line, you know, Garbisi ran, came hard at the line and they scored a fantastic try. Um, and they stuck in the game. They, you know, they really did kind of front up in certain areas, um, but they just play so deep. Um, and I talked about it on the pod a couple of weeks ago about how you pass so deep um, back to then be able to kick the ball you're losing all of those meters but also the forwards that are in front of you can't move and interestingly one of the things that I was talking to my dad about it about how if you notice now it's obviously a thing and a directive that the referees have been asked to look at is that offside from a kick so yeah. everybody and it was really noticeable in the uh, Wales England game where everyone stopped as soon as yeah. the ball had been kicked back all of the forwards stopped and waited for someone to come on and there's it's like freeze so instantly if you're not box kicking which Italy very very rarely do the whole game stops no and then all of a sudden anybody that catches the ball because they rarely find grass to be able to get a little a few extra meters um, from a defensive perspective 
they've instantly got a run up at you. They've instantly got time to counterattack. And when you've got players like Keenan, Lama, um, Lowe in the backfield for for Ireland, they're gonna they're gonna capitalize on that. So that would be my kind of one thing about Italy that they've got to look at changing their kicking strategy. One, because it's never really worked, and two, because now if it, it's being enforced about the offside line, they're just making it impossible to be able to defend the kick. And that's where England come into their own with their 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 kick chase. And um, well, in particular in the autumn. Anyway, that's enough. That I was my quickly fastly about Italy. I wanted to ask you one thing about it. I saw that there was an article that had done the rounds. Um, I think it was Rory O'Connor in the Irish Times on Saturday ahead of the game that James Lowe had underwhelmed in an Ireland shirt thus far, having promised so much from Leinster performances. What did you make of his performance this Saturday? I think he's good. I think he he plays with real confidence. I think he's strong. He's physical. I think there's a slight clinical nature to his game that he potentially lacks at times. Um but I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think he's doing it. He makes some errors when he's trying things. I suppose it's just understanding the influence of that at test level is very different to club level. So you've just got to kind of rein it in at times as an offload he tried to go for at a time where, but I think he's physical, he's strong. He works hard off his wing. He's busy. Um, he's got a massive boot. Um, so yeah, I think he's done well. It's just those little errors that, the kind of black dots on the piece of paper that people are potentially looking at um and also you want a winger like that if you've got someone like Keenan at fullback because Keenan is like similar to how I play like darting all over the place so you want somebody with that physicality that can really like hit in hard um you know another area he it's really hard to get your timing right so it's really important that you you hold your feet basically um so you're you you're there for the open kick, but then you're also uh, um, people can use you when if it does go wide. Um, for one of the tries, it was disallowed as a forward pass. It was a pop from Casey at nine to him, and he just overran it. So it's just understanding that timing. But yeah, uh, did you know at the weekend was the first time in ninety years Ireland had a full Leinster backline as a starting line? Oh wow! Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Wow, that is interesting. Um, well, okay, talking about a month's man then, one thing I absolutely loved from the weekend, you know that this is my kind of thing that makes my heart sing, the pictures of Craig Casey as a very small child mascot with um, both Axel and Peter Stringer. Just, it made me feel really old because they're players that I have watched play as an adult uh, and, and then he was and he's he's a baby in those pictures it's not like yeah. he's a he's a 12 year old getting a kind of under 13s jersey off of another young player he is a baby and it's, well, he's small in Peter Stringer's arms so yeah, he must be little um you know what one thing I would say you know what is, I love did you see that um strings put on um uh, this picture was taken before covid <laughs> <laughs> Which I, just I haven't love. seen that. You know really what? Really laugh. Anybody like rugby fans, if you're not following Peter Stringer, he's actually really great on social media. He does loads of training. He's absolutely ripped still. So there's loads of training advice and training bits and pieces and stuff. But then he also trains his son, who's a toddler. And he a while ago, you have to scroll back a bit. His son was in a um Spider-Man outfit and he was doing some um training on the treadmill and uh like doing little inter intervals and I um messaged like direct messaged him and said like this is some of the best content I've seen like this week and he was like yeah I don't think his mum appreciated it because that was he was going like something a little bit ridiculous on the treadmill and his little feet were going really fast but um he's definitely someone to to follow but actually just quickly brief quickly briefly again <laughs> talking about <laughs> And also, do you know that by saying that beforehand, you're then meant to say it quickly. You're not. Yeah, no, I know. I don't. It quick by saying quickly, fastly, speedily. Well, you know, it's a double negative. It's like one of those double negatives, isn't it? Um, so it doesn't count. Mm -hmm. um, if I say quickly, then I've got to do it quickly. If I say quickly, briefly, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, just Ireland's performance, and it was interesting hearing Sexton after the game saying that the forwards have been fronting up. They've been doing a great job. 
and the backs needed to and they did perform and and actually they did they put together some really nice play edge to edge stuff um Keenan is really coming into his own in the fullback shirt which I love um I just love the way he kind of just casually like pops about when he's got the ball and when he's got it he's like tough as old boots um so yeah I I think it was great the whole 10 shirt debate is an interesting one but I just feel that that it's always going to be there whilst you've got someone as experienced as Johnny Sexton still in the fold. Interestingly, he's been given a year extension to his contract by Leinster today, so he ain't going nowhere. No, but in but it is only a year. It's not two years, so it's not in three to the World Cup, which is interesting. Um, I don't know. I think they're going to have to play around with it. I don't want to contribute to that conversation. That's my quickly, briefly, fastly okay. talk about it. Uh, we'll... Let's have a quick word on the game that didn't take place and the kind of wider narrative that surrounds the um, France-Scotland game. So the game was called off because of um, a gazillion COVID positives within the French camp. It now is going to have a greater impact on the tournament than um, perhaps earlier imagined because I'm not sure that many people saw a Wales win that took place on Saturday spoiler alert um but now <laughs> if the Six Nations tournament <laughs> if the Six Nations tournament oh, is to have a super sat calm down that's <laughs> really tickle me <laughs> if the Six Nations tournament is to have a super Saturday um, where Wales and France are both looking to win the tournament. They have to play Scotland before then. Um, and a little bit of intel for you. So there's there's a few options at the moment being played with. One of them is that that game takes place because obviously at the moment all games are taking place behind closed doors. It's a lot easier to, um, to set these things up. And one scenario is that the game takes place a week on Tuesday, so a week from today which would mean that France plays Scotland, England and Wales in about a, um, I don't know, like 16 day turnaround or something or, or less than that. I, I'm not great at that, so we know that. Um, but that also does mean that Scotland have got to play three games in that space of time as well, which isn't fair. Um, and then there's another scenario that's been put forward by the French for the game to take place the last weekend of March, which obviously mean that um, we don't have a Super Saturday because, you know, we don't know if France will be going for a Grand Slam or not on that day. Um, and also it's one of those things from a, a Scottish perspective that the French may agree for their players to be released for the last weekend of March. But a number of those Scottish players play outside of Scotland and they can't reasonably expect for their players to be released on what would be a league weekend. Well, so the Premiership players... You know why would Exeter? You know that there is a window for a reason. So at this point, and I'm going to put this out there, I think that we now know why the COVID positive cases occurred. We know that the coach himself was the one who broke COVID protocols. Seeing as we now have a a paper trail to it, I'm sorry, but France forfeit the game. Scotland get the points. Scotland get five points for that match. France forfeit the game, you know, what, win or lose or on the booze, Wales are going to be crowned tournament champions. <laughs> uh, you know what, I actually, I, we, we sometimes agree, sometimes disagree. Um, I completely agree. I think, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I think that fundamentally the rules are there for a reason and they are there at, you know, at, like painstakingly, um difficult to to make sure that they're abiding by them there's a hell of a lot of money that goes into them there's a lot of emotional toll that is gone into the fact that they have to sit by these um the the protocols and the way that players behave and i 100 percent agree that the head coach who should be the role model of everybody goes out and breaks the bubble and he is the the reason why that they've all got covid um 
yeah simple as they they broke the rules and therefore they should be punished for it because why like you say it's a knock-on effect to Scotland so if Scotland play those three games their performance might be down players will be under a certain amount of fatigue they will then therefore pick up in potential injuries or knocks or need extra time off so then the English clubs will be saying well why should we rest players because of France like I think actually you just got to look at it you've broken the rules simple this is the you know this is the situation and then like it's not you know as much as it's disappointing because that would have been a hell of a game would have been absolutely brilliant to watch as a fan the players in a condensed season where there's so much going on don't necessarily need to put themselves under extra pressure um so yeah that's i i i agree I'm glad glad that we are agreed on that. So um, Saturday evening in Cardiff. I can't believe it happened, mate, because your goat wasn't there. Schenken didn't walk down the tunnel. I I had an insight into Schenken. Never really heard of Schenken the goat before. For anyone that doesn't know about Schenken, we will now tell you about Schenken. Um, I was sat in... So, yeah. Nolly's now wrapped. Oh, let me tell the story. Oh, sorry, let okay. me tell the okay, story. Sorry, sorry. So I was sat, and then you can give me all your facts about it because I don't know about it. But I was sat in the research, um, in the kind of prep room, basically green room. Green room. room. They call that in television. Yeah. I know you're. Where well, we were prepping for um, the ITV highlight show, <laughs> and just out of the blue, um, we were talking about how. Wales won it and we were saying it's complete fluke obviously um Ugo and I were saying you know there's no chance they should <laughs> jokes is not telling that anyway Gareth Thomas said he couldn't believe it because it was the first time that Schengen hadn't been there since Wembley which was when they took the goat to Wembley and Wales won the big what game was it what year was it 1999 it was the last year of the five nations and it was the silence of the okay there we go i've I've, I've rolled it in 32 31 thanks to a scott gibbs try and neil jenkins conversion which would mean england would not win the tournament and it gifted scotland and that's why scotland say that they are the reigning five nations champions because the next year the tournament would become the six nations the iconic scott gibbs try yeah so they that was where they first had schenken the goat and um, Gareth is telling us that he's basically a royal goat. He has someone that looks after him um, and grooms him. He's basically a celebrity. He's got his own Twitter account. It's actually Schenken the Fourth. Obviously, it's been a little bit of time since '99, um, but Schenken the Fourth is alive and kicking. But unfortunately, wasn't there at the weekend. Um, but it didn't matter. I, I would take like umbrage with this in that. I'm not convinced that that is right because in 2001, the foot and mouth um, crisis in the UK and Ireland meant that the movement of livestock was restricted. Um, Obviously that year, a couple of the Irish Six Nations games fell and had to be played later in the year. I believe Ireland, France was one of them. Um, So we had an elongated Six Nations just like we did in 2020. but I'm convinced that they wouldn't have the Shankmeister at the stadium. Well, if anybody knows, if any of the players... Do we dial in Suba here? Because this is a, it's a cloven hoof argument, isn't it? It's animals <laughs> with cloven hoofs, isn't it? Or is that... I don't know, but yeah. I don't, I, know, I don't know what you're talking about. There's, you know, you know, like... Hoof, moose knuckle, camel. Thanks for describing what, I, yeah, thanks for describing the hoof. I'm, I'm pleased you walked straight into that. Anyway, um, I can ask Sue, but she did <laughs> used to work for DEFRA, as was the Ministry of Agriculture. She'll be very up to speed with what was happening around that time. Um, so, if yeah, anyone else no wants problem. to uh, get involved in that, that that conversation, then please, we, we welcome any input um well fundamentally it just shows the luck that wales have got at the moment that they go 14 players 14 players and then they don't have the goat and the they still win what do you think the goat is like the secret to (laughs) all right mate um do you know what though it was a very weird one and i it felt like one of those games beforehand where I actually booked a draw, a book, a backed a draw with the bookies because I just thought this you game. You do it on back, match point. 
no match point I went Wales by three because it's one of those things where obviously I Scotland to beat Wales on match point and I was happy to be wrong I'm always happy on match point to call a game with my head apart from Wales England I cannot I cannot do that I'm pretty sure last year you did back England against I Wales. Changed it at the last minute, didn't I? Oh, did it? No, I yeah, don't think you did. I think... <laughs> There's just something in me, in my soul, that didn't feel right about doing that. So, um, no, I backed Wales by three. My dad backed Wales by nine, so he was pretty upset with the last oh. try. He was like, "Oh my god, I was going to get a perfect score." I um and would have got a video from me. Um, yeah. I <laughs> um the. You know what? I'm so gutted because I was within one point. So I got 19 points for um, Italy Island. And then there was a competition like a head to head with Tom Shanks and I. And he obviously called Wales and I obviously called England. And the winner of the winner between the two of us got a massive Guinness bundle to send to one of our pod listeners. So I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry that, um, that I didn't win. I'll try next time. Try harder next time. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a very weird when I was at the game. I worked the game. It was, it made me feel very sad. As I'd said, the Island game was exactly the same feeling, but there was a really weird kind of, I don't think anyone really on Saturday knew how that was going to go because the reality is, and and we will talk about this, the decisions made by the referee obviously have come under great scrutiny, but England haven't looked like a great side going into that game. And Wales had two wins without being a side that anyone feared. So it was, I don't think Wales have stolen a win from England by any stretch of the imagination here. And, you know, as I think has been kind of broken down over the past few days. Yes, those two tries were contentious, but the second half, England were all at sea. You know what? I I think um, I think what was exciting about the game was that England were playing better than Wales, but they were basically the um, the pickpocket of the game. They were pickpocketing and taking opportunities, and you know what? Referees' decisions. Um, Garcez has come out and said he made two, you know, the two errors, the try, um, the there. first one. Garcez, sorry, he. Um, They're all French, it's all the same. Yeah, same, same. Um, they, he didn't give enough time for the players to get back. All right, simple, that's done. I think the knock on um, was a knock on. Like I actually, so I read out a quote from Nigel Owens that basically said on the on the high t- on the high TV highlights um, about 
which is quite interesting. It's really, really simple that if you knock the ball forward, you have to regain possession before it hits the floor. So it can hit your body. You can knock it on and that's why you can catch it again. But, but because irrelevant of it hit his leg, he knocked the ball forward and then it hit the floor. So therefore it's deemed as a knock on. So actually just the simplicity of that. I think you know one, thing, one thing it does... I, bit of a sidebar with it. And I think this is something that we discussed a couple of months ago. I find it amazing that there were so many questions. So I was in the truck working on replays. We showed the TMO every angle twice of that incident and the try gets awarded and you feel like to some extent um, adventurous play is being rewarded there. If that's, it comes back to this intentional knock-on thing for me. Like I still, I can't get my head around how a defending player can be sent off for not gathering a ball when essentially that's exactly what the attacking player has done there. They've not gathered the ball I don't know. It's just there's something in it for yeah, me. It wasn't. He said he's come out to say that it was a, it wasn't right. That he said that it was an error. And and I think I suppose for me there's a couple of things. One, the fact that this had to be questions. And when you look at the look at the written the law written down, there was too much scope for interpretation. I think you know Gareth Thomas, as we were chatting about it, put it really simply. Look at Lewis Rees-Dammit's, um his reaction. We know that a law written down can be interpreted in certain ways, but there's certain ways that as players, you know, the interpretation. Yeah. And actually it's just, because it, you can't write things down in a certain way that is so specific. Um, and obviously I've given a version of it that, that Nigel Owens has um, shared, but I think that fundamentally there are parts of the game that are just parts of the game that you know as players, you know as refs. Yeah. And I think that, that it, it's, it just, it just question like it brings up the question of do our laws and does the law book need to be just looked at again in terms of, right, how are we wording this? How do we describe it? Let's make it super clear so that that can be flashed up on the screen and give someone an explanation. You spoke about in the article that you wrote a while ago for the 15 about how we can interact with fans differently. The law interpretation, the fact that there are numerous occasions now, every single weekend, we are seeing debates between experts, in inverted commas. How on earth is the, the, the person at home supposed to, to understand? And I think one thing that I've seen a real positive shift in the Gallagher Premiership is the TMO and the referee and their communication. So the TMO will say, this is what I'm seeing. The referee will say, this is what I've seen. And then, then repeat why the sanction is then put in place. Obviously it's been in relation to all the red cards. And I think that that's really super simple because it's clear for people listening. It's also then reiterates to the commentators exactly what they need to suggest, whether they, they can say, look, it's simple, like this is it. And you're, you're hearing Ugo Benke and the team talking about it. So I think there's that point, but then, there was a tweet this morning from Martin Bayfield saying, well, are we wrong to expect two French people to speak in English? Would they have benefited from going through that process in, in, in French? Yeah. And then could we subtitle now if we need to? Um, or can we have an interpreter that then goes through into the commentator's ear so the commentators can, can translate? Um, I think it's an interesting point, but I think that that's something that clears up the kind of ambiguity is that the right word yeah um, ambiguity about the laws um so we've got as clear as possible but then the other side of it is can we make these laws slightly clearer yeah. so that we're not having these big debates mainly not because sport is great for debate but more for inclusion of people that don't really understand the game they need to be they don't need to be pushed aside they need to be in included um so that would be kind of my point okay. from all of that there's perhaps as well, like one thing that I've kind of ruminated on over the past few days, my friend Josh texts me on Sunday morning and, and you know, <clears throat> he said, oh, I thought Wales deserved to win the game, but you can't, as a Welsh person, you can't agree with those tries, blah, 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 blah. But, and he said, oh, you know, the reality of that game, it was decided because once you go two tries behind, you're then chasing the game. So regardless of how many points Wales score in the second half, but again, it talks to the subjectivity of referees and their decision making and that it's down to one person because, do you know what? If 
Pascal Gozer had at half time taken, you know, his 15 minutes and sat down and thought, I've messed this up. I shouldn't have given those two tries. Then that's then on his back for the rest of that game. So he is going to work within that framework in his head that I've I've decided the game. Maro Atoje, I think, finished the game with eight penalties against five. him. It was certainly it was seven. It was certainly seven in the truck at the time. So on the penalty oh. count on the fruit machine. Now, at what point did he he should have been yellow carded? He he continually infringed. He was he and he was being warned and he was continually infringing. So as, at that point, as Pascal goes there at a point where I can't send someone off now because I can't send an English player off because I've already decided this game. Although saying that, the one thing that might the reason why you might see not see a player go off. I mean, it's a good point if one person is getting penalised, but when the pen normally it comes when there is repeated infringements of certain things. Mm. I think actually, if you look at the first penalty, it wasn't a penalty. He actually, he actually, t he actually hit the ball out of his hands as he was passing. It wasn't an intentional <laughs> knock-on because the ball hadn't li left his hands. Um, it, it was a hardy at the scrum. I think the third one was. Um, the next one, which was stupid because he went across at the line out. So that's that's an error, but it might have been actually the lifters pushing him across. And then, oh no, it was offside at the mall or something. And then the third one was um, stripping the ball in the in the tackle. Again, really harsh if you look but at he it. Was, so you think the way that we hear that game, we don't hear the crowd effects. So at home now, you're getting this crowd effects pumped in. We are hearing the organic noise off that pitch. So we're hearing the ref mic far clearer than you are at home. He was warning Toje constantly for offside infringement. And it felt like it got to a point where he was like, if I give him a card, I've already decided this game. It, it's going to be an absolute rout. It could be Wales, you know, 50 yeah. points. But, but I'm looking at, I looked at it say. twice. I looked at the game. So I watched the game as a fan and then I watched it again. So obviously we had to do the analysis on it. And all right, I wasn't, I didn't have a ref mic, a ref mic only second game. I had a different commentary team, which is actually always interesting because they're picking up different things. But when you're looking at the offences that he's penalising, irrelevant of whether he's warning him in other areas, the actual penalties that he's given, in my opinion, a couple of them, if not more later on, were quite harsh. Um, but it is the same person doing giving, giving the penalties away. I think just to kind of flip it into a positive, I think... Um, it's interesting to see Callum Sheedy uh, getting as much game time as he is. Firstly, it was an HIA and then it stayed on. And then Dan Bigger had a niggle, so he stayed on. But I think that that's a brilliant point to look at, is that if you're bringing on a decision maker and a playmaker, why do we only give them 15, 20 minutes? If someone has a good solid 30-minute running, they can actually have influence. They can start to play. And having Hallaholo, Hollow is that how you say it? Hallaholo, um, yeah. Willis. Yeah, having him come on in the centres with him, I was thinking that's a brilliant partnership because he's very similar to Piatau, the two Piatau's at Bristol, yeah. um, to how Semi Randrandra plays. So actually, that type of real exciting player that wants to come to the line and offload and play really suits Callum Shudy. So I just feel like when you're looking at substitutions and combinations, it's interesting when you see someone's club behaviour being able to be put into a into an international show. That, you know, Eddie Jones has created his own kind of um, lexicon around rugby nowadays. And we talk about his bench as the finishers. And actually on Saturday, Wales finishers were the better of the two. Well, I mean, but, but by far, I mean, you look at who... So the three penalties that... So there was one from yours yours that was down on the 22 that released the pressure. There was one from Ellis Genge, which was three points. And there was one from Dan Robson that was three points. And then Dan Robson, unfortunately, also threw the intercept pass that Callum Sheedy took. So yeah, I don't think the finishers had the impact that they, they would have wanted. And, and, you know, it's difficult because normally penalties come from pressure or fatigue and did they feel the pressure that they were coming on at a time where they had to force the play? Possibly. Um, you know, I 
in an interview I said that they were lazy I think it's not necessarily physically lazy it's mentally lazy to know I've got to move I've got to make this decision better and and I think you know Johnny Hill giving away seven points for what he did I think again it was just like kind of mentally switching off and, and making a poor decision so yeah I think that definitely as a coach my reflection is if I was coaching a team you know what why do we do this traditional 60 minutes and then on comes the finishes why do we only give people 20 minutes 10 minutes whatever it might four minutes that's painful when someone comes on with that to go why don't we give people a bigger chance safety thing as well though isn't it because if you bring somebody on with 30 minutes, because we have a limited amount of bench options, you know, it wasn't that long ago that there were 22 people in a match day squad, not 23. So it's, it's protection because you might bring somebody on with 30 minutes to go. And if somebody, so you might bring Callum Sheedy on, if somebody else in your back line gets injured, you're then working through your, you could finish a game with, with 14 men, not through in discipline, but through... Um... That actually happened in France-Scotland game. The, <laughs> yeah. the Scotland-France game, the ladies game in the autumn. Well, it was in the autumn, but it was the finishing part of yeah. the Six Nations. Um, it happened. They made too many substitutions because of injuries, but it's risk-reward, isn't it? All I'm saying is I'm not saying empty the bench. I'm not saying get everyone off. Obviously, it like if you get everyone off super early, like you say, they could get injured and then you da- you, you know you reduce players. But with you, it, it's, it's an interesting one that we see it early for props because of fatigue but they can come back on again if there is an injury but at the same time we you rarely see decision makers go off you rarely see playmakers go off early and I just feel that we've seen two games where Callum Sheedy has come on he is a totally different player to Dan Bigger and had a massively influential performance which I think is just something to think about I just think it's great um and yeah, him playing well, Hardy playing well, second start, I thought he was class. The fact that Marrow was breathing down his neck the whole game and was allowed to, but he was, he still stuck with it. Fair play. I've been in that position as a scrum half, as a new scrum half. It is hell on earth when you get a charge down, when you get caught at the line out, where you get smashed on a snipe. And it's like constantly niggling away, like fighting away at your confidence Shall, have I, do I need someone else and instantly you put more into the bloody caterpillar so you don't get caught which means you get a shorter def- a defensive line push because you've got more forwards in there you know so although I think the forwards probably appreciate it because they get a break sitting in that <laughs> caterpillar position anyway one thing well I done Wales to, one thing I want to pick up on um because we've talked about Maro and I, I don't want it to be an inherently negative conversation around him because you know I I I think he's an absolute legend and, and having worked on that 20s World Cup when he was captain, he's something very special. And I think he has had some very unfair press off the back of the game in his penalty count. And I think actually you have to look at it as being a young man who is so desperate to win and is in a very difficult situation at the moment with very little rugby in those legs because of what's happening with Saracens and stuff like that. And just to pick up on, uh, I said that my friend Josh I'd spoken to on Sunday morning, Josh's father had made a really good point about um, there's a lot of question marks over Owen Farrell's leadership now and whether he is the right captain there. Uh, Not dropping him as a player, but dropping him as captain. And we've talked about Mara as being a natural born captain for that England side. And if you look at um, another second row who had a, I mean, you could call it successful run in that white shirt with the uh, armband. Martin Johnson in the early 90s would give away penalties for fun. He was one of the worst infringers and then would go on to become the World Cup winning captain. And when he became captain and he had that mantle on his shoulders, it changed that aspect of his game. And maybe that's something to think about. I would certainly love to see Mara Watoje England captain. Only because you tweeted in 2015 that he would be the next Lions captain in 20... Well, he'd be the Lions captain in 2021. I actually tweeted <laughs> that in 2013, not 2015. Oh, sorry, okay. sorry. Um, so I just... Um, just on one point, talking about um, players getting abused, it's interesting, actually, how England Rugby put out a tweet saying that um, they were back backing their players. And, and just this whole situation with people 
being able to share raw emotion and opinions in such a vile manner, you know, and yeah, like get hyped up about the game, get frustrated, be super excited, be chuffed, be like, oh, you know, annoyed that things have happened. But it is just a game. Don't start personally abusing somebody that has brought 80 minutes of pure entertainment into your world, which we don't have much of at the moment, but yet you then feel like, you can send death threats to somebody like Ellis Genge or go hard at somebody for the penalties like Mario. I mean, I haven't seen loads of it because I've tried to ignore it. I've seen the response from England. I've seen the response from Ellis. And I just feel like that coupled with what we saw against Sonia McLaughlin, which I know you've spoken about um, with regards it not being about gender, it being more about um, just doing a job that people didn't enjoy. It's just... I just feel like at a time when we don't have much positivity, there's, the world is struggling, sport is bringing that entertainment, but yet then as sports fans, we're letting ourselves, not, I'm not putting myself in that because I'm definitely not doing it, but the people that are sending those horrible messages on social media are letting sport down. I just want to pick up on the Sonia thing. Um, I'm very lucky. I've known Sonia for the best part of a decade now and, um she's obviously been very influential in my career and, and also is a very supportive person and I mean especially through lockdown I count myself very lucky that um she takes time out to give me a call and make sure I'm okay and and you know knowing that I'm you know a, a relative youngster in this industry compared to her the thing with Sonia for me is I've a huge amount of respect for her because of the way that she works and she holds herself to a very high account and at the end of the day Sonia is a sports journalist she is doing her job and what upset me on the weekend was that I just felt like I don't I I I couldn't get my head around people trolling her and complaining about her questions what on earth do they think that she is there to do what did they want her to ask Owen Farrell after the game and that's where people really let themselves down and do you know what one of the biggest issues we have on social media and certainly you know with when you've been the victim of this and when Maggie was the other week a lot of these accounts are faceless and they don't have names attached to them they're a you know they might have a cartoon and a and a you know pseudonym on them every account on Twitter needs to be verified what upset me with what I've seen written um, about Sonia and aimed at Sonia is these are accounts with um, genuine identities behind them. If that is your friend, if that is your dad, if that is your brother, and you know what? I I sound like I'm accusing men of this because in the most part, from what I saw it was, you have a word with them. This shouldn't just be Sonia being in the car in tears. This should you be saying, what are you doing? Like, it just, it upset me because Sonia's a very strong woman. She's somebody that cares a huge amount about what she does and she's incredibly professional and for her to be reduced to tears by this on the weekend I just thought this is just sport it's just sport it doesn't matter it doesn't matter well that's what I mean like it's just the the emotion behind it is something that we should embrace and enjoy and we've got some amazing role models you know Sonia is an amazing role model in terms of what she's doing breaking the mold as one of the few females coming through with Jill Douglas in that kind of era with Lee McKenzie there are very few women that are in those amazing roles and I actually agree with a point that you've made previously about it not it actually wasn't about gender it was about her what she was asking but the fact that she's a female there's this sting and whipping the tail of sexist abuse and that's where <laughs> interesting and when you reflect on what I've had what Mags has had what Jill Douglas even says she gets and Sonia obviously gets it's actually all of us have abuse but just like Ugo, Flats, Ben Kay like Austin Healy they all get stuff but there's this extra layer of nastiness when it's oh, a woman isn't it there's this and the thing that I find really hard is that um you know various female co-coms and I I I don't like to I was very upset obviously when you know you were on the receiving end of this it's it's rarely about content it's rarely about what you've said as a commentator it's rarely about your analysis it's things like um oh god her voice 
and with Sonia it's oh she she's such a naggy middle-aged woman and you think I, I saw one that come this thing about oh she, what a Karen that woman is and I think you clearly don't watch rugby any other time if you don't know who Sonia is if you can't recognize her as being you know one of the greats of, of the art form and it just it just upset me because I just felt like well, I think as a move on this pedestal all the time that we're better than other sports. We are a gentleman's game and all this kind of thing. Rugby's values. Rugby let itself down on the weekend. And I think it's for all of us to call that out. It's not just for England rugby and the WRU and the BBC to come out and say we don't condone that. None of us should condone it. If you see it, report the tweet. Tell the per- If that's a real person, tell them they're an idiot. Do what I do. Find them on LinkedIn and then send them a little message with a screenshot of it. Threaten to tell their boss. I just think, I think one point you've made is about the verification. And it just, to me, is what's it going to take for social media to make that step? It is a huge step that needs to happen. It isn't about an invasion of privacy because it's about verifying, this is me, this is who I am. And then, um, and actually you're accountable for what you're putting out there. And it isn't hiding behind, oh, this is my opinion, because they are personal, horrible, nasty comments that you would never say to someone's face. I think legally, I'm intrigued about the whole death threat thing to Ellis Genge. I think that, I mean, that's just the most ridiculous step in this as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that that would be the action. And, you know, you kind of look at the situation with Caroline Flack just over a year ago now. You know, she was one of a few um, celebrities that have got to the point where they, it, to, the, to the worst point possible and still nothing is done. So what is going to need to happen to to make that change and I think the more like you say the more we can be calling out the more that we can try and stamp this out and say to people it's not okay it it shows the wider audience that this is something that is hurting a lot of people now and it needs to change let's have a a gear change now and and bring back the positivity and let's have a few words on the women's game before we round off We are, we find ourselves in a quandary, don't we, Nolmeister? At the Tryhards podcast, we have been flag-waving, cheerleading fans of Exeter Chiefs. They've gone six on the bounce, but this weekend we are torn. Because they face our wasps. I I am, and I'm not really, I'm not really, I'm supporting wasps. Um, They're my club. They're the ones that um, I finished my career playing for. And yeah, beating... Yeah, beating Saracens at the weekend, first time since 2018, which we won 5 0, scored the winning try. Oh, um, yeah, it was um, the unbelievable game. And what was great was that it was 26 24. And it was really, it was awful because I was like, oh my God, they've still, I tuned in because it was at the same time as Italy Island. And I tuned in on my phone and I think it said, like 63 minutes or 64 minutes and I was like oh god they've got 16 minutes to hold out a two points and like and then they were like and a couple of minutes to go and I was like oh I forgot that they play 35 minutes each way and the new um, every weekend no I do every week I can't get used to it I can't get used to 70 minute rugby it's really weird um but um fair play I think on the back of losing against Quinns when they were 19 um point 19 five I think up and they lost the game um from from Giselle's perspective I know having spoken to her she was like gutted and she's like we've got to learn from this and I'd rather do this now than in a semi-final we've got to learn to see a game out so fair play to the Waspies Kate Older ridiculous shift she absolutely loves it um Abby Dow took a decent couple of tries and some massive handoffs and then Meg Jones pulled the strings and got player of the match um yeah she she she's playing some really good rugby and Giselle said she's she's having a real good time coaching her um and actually maybe this is a bit bit of an inside um scoop for everyone not that it tells anything but Giselle said right we've got to be running straight and Meg likes to like bounce around and so Giselle's like right in this part of the game you've got to run straight and Megan didn't so she penalised her and took the ball and Meg was like like okay oh, I'm finding the space and Giselle said but the rules are you've got to run straight like that's it yeah. so apparently the next two times Megan got the ball she looked at Pasha said she ran <laughs> like dart straight into and just got smashed 
but out of principle, I like got up and like chuntering back to Giselle as if to say, you want me to run straight there? Yeah. <laughs> I just love it. I just think that it's just, it's really cool to see um, the, I'm on the Wasp player group and just to see some of the chat, to see some of the relationships, the new players there. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of am a, maybe secretly a little bit jealous because I just feel really? like that team would be. secret. Um, a li- like it'd just be such a cool group to be part of. Um, I don't what? think I'd make the team because Ellie's there. But um... <laughs> what's going to happen in terms of timeframes and um, players joining up with GB sevens, and how is that going to affect Wasps's Wasps's um playoff hopes? If they yeah, it's pretty big. So the the program goes. Um, there's four Waspies that are in it um and <laughs> congratulations girls and also congratulations to Flo everyone yeah Flo Williams for also getting called up to the Welsh squad um but there's four wasps and then yeah all of the girls actually great to see that announcement great to see two Welshies great to see a good handful of um Scots actually um so yeah the girls join the boys it's Tuesday today so the boys got their first session back there's all their Instagrams they're all like super like giddy about it which is cool girls join in a couple of weeks what that means for playing premiership, I don't know. I don't know whether they're, I think they're training in the week and then potentially released to play at the weekend. Um, but it will have a big effect on teams, you know, in particular Wasps, but also Helena Rowland has been carving up at yeah. Loughborough Lightning and she's um, in the Sevens programme. And they've also got Abby Brown at Loughborough um, and Rona Lloyd. Yeah. Um, Quinns will be losing Chloe Rowley. So there's lots, there's lots of players that are going to be in and out potentially. But it's also I a just... really interesting kind of um, conversation now around Scotland because you've named those girls who are um, Scottish players who would have played in Six Nations. And Jade Conkles just announced that um, she will be taking up a um, training firefighter position with the London Fire Brigade. So massive congrats on that, Jade. That's awesome. But it does mean that she's going to step away from rugby. And as we well know, we still don't have those World Cup qualifier places confirmed. And Scotland have now lost a chunk of players that you would have thought would have had a huge impact through this Six Nations period and World Cup qualification. Yeah, I mean, Jade's a massive loss. She's a great player. She's actually one of the, I think, one of the strongest players I've run into. <laughs> I think I made a slight judgment call, uh, wrong judgment. And um, yeah, she smashed me. But um, I'd be interested to know the whether they are released for that Six Nations period. Um, because, you know, England have made the statement that they will take players from the Olympics to the World Cup um, if they both go ahead. Um, I think well, Wales certainly one... are encouraging players that you know they've said to I know that they've said to Hannah and Jazz that this doesn't discount you from the World Cup plans we're happy for you to go and play yeah. Olympics and then and, come to New Zealand and actually it's in the it's in the best interest I think of the sevens program to have them playing in those big competitions they've been playing 15s for a number of months um, they're hard into it and actually it's a competitive environment where they're going to be challenged um, get to step up against other people um find a bit find space in a different way um but the the other thing is it's having spoken to a couple of players this is just the initial training squad there will be players brought in so we might see other players come across from six nations um obviously not everybody's been able to be playing regularly um so i think the coaching staff will be looking at all of the games and looking at who they can potentially invite in um so it's not set in stone and it is going to be incredibly hard to make yeah. that squad which makes it super exciting actually because um yeah I think Team GB now have really got nothing to lose they've been through the mill with what they've had to look at look you know but they've got some fantastic and potentially world-class sevens players that if they get it right could be medal contenders and that's super exciting I had a interesting chat with Kaylee Powell one of the young Welsh girls uh, who's at Bristol she's amazing amazing player um, about what team GB on the world seven series could mean as well and I think that um, from a men's perspective I'm really disappointed that we won't have a Welsh team on the sevens world series going forward if team GB does well with this 
because it's a pathway that has been diminished. But obviously the Welsh girls have only ever played one series or one event on the series. And that was when they were guests in Paris. And I love now that there are Welsh girls who have the opportunity to go and play on the World Series. I basically was like, Kaylee, if I was like 15 years younger and ended up <laughs> I'd be like going for that. So yeah, I think Team GB is a very exciting prospect. Um, one thing we need to do is send our love to friend of the pod, Sarah Byrne, who was in Cardiff last week having an op on her shoulder. Um, I know that you've spoken to her. Get that girl back for the World Cup because... Yeah, to be fair, I said, oh, like, you know, is it going to be long? And she's going to be, like, she's aiming to be all okay and good and fit and strong to to get back from for the World Cup. And she said, oh, I've got to be, obviously, it may take a little bit longer because of scrummaging. I was like, mate, I'd take you as a back row. In fact, I'd probably take you as a winger. So, like, don't worry about the scrummaging. Just get on that plane, girl. Oh, crash ball um, centre. Crash ball centre. I can oh, see her at 12. Awful. Lovely. I hate that distribution as well. You know what? She actually played centre. Um, she was also, she talked to them in an interview in a chat. I think maybe she even told me when we when we were first at Hartbury that um she also played nine, which I thought was hilarious. Um, it always reminds me. Key and Healy has always had like delusions of grandeur that he could play in the centre. That was always his dream. That you know he was playing in the front row, but the reality is that he wanted to play in midfield. And I think Birder is like the key and Healy of English women's rugby. Oh, she's faster than him, mate. I, although saying uh, that, have you ever seen I was him? I'm gonna say, okay. Well, I'd have to say that when I have to say, I, I've done. I was gonna say, oh, I'll get all these line breaks from Berner through the centre. You get them in 15s anyway when she's a prop because she's all over the place. Um, and the amount of times I had to do like one-on-one tackles with her was just so savage. I'm like. What, if I'm going to play 10 in your testimonial game, I reckon we give her a run at 12. If she fancies it, Berna, we know that you listen. If you want it, that 12 jersey's there for you. And on Tell that you what, the distribution will be so slick. Um, you probably have to start, you'll have to stand about um, a metre from her, but I back you, Berna. On that good note. Luck. Good luck with your rehab, buddy. And big love to everyone listening out there. Get in touch with your pauses for positivity, your top tips, um, and we'll see you soon. Subscribe, five stars. Cheers. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 